This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission and creator and host of Energy Matters. I'm on the road at Georgia Tech with uh, a guest that appeared on our show early on, Sean Aurora here, the director of the building, the Candida building, the coolest building maybe in the southeast. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, pleasure seeing you again. Well, this building... I'm sitting on, the, I guess, the first floor as I, as I look just at how open it is. I see all this wood. I see these pipes labeled. I see this composting toilet. I mean, all of the stuff you guys, you, you know, were so proud of as you, as you, you know, launched this building, kicked it off. Now I'm just seeing hundreds and stu- hundreds of students coming in, enjoying this building. Uh, is it everything that you had hoped for? It is everything that we had hoped for and more. Uh, This is the first living building in the state of Georgia, the most complicated and complex living building of its type in the southeast and only the 28th in the world. So your your listeners might be wondering, what the heck is a living building? Well, a living building goes beyond sustainability. A living building gives back to nature and people more than it takes. Uh, So it's regenerative. It's called a regenerative building, not a sustainable building. And we had, uh, we had a goal. To, to meet the living building challenge, you got to show that you are net positive energy, net positive water, amongst other things. And the baseline is 105% net positive energy, which means over the course of 12 months, the, building's gotta develop, uh, the building has to produce on-site renewable energy that covers 105% of its total energy needs. So how are you doing that with the energy? The way we're doing it is first energy efficiency. This building is hyper, hyper energy efficient. Then you've got energy efficient systems. Then you put on site appropriate renewables, which as you very well know, in our state, it's going to be solar. And that got the building to 225% net positive, not 105, which was the requirement, 225, 225%. So that means over the course of one year, This building generates enough electricity to offset its electricity consumption. If this building had a twin without solar panels, it would have enough electricity for that building and would still have 20, 25% left over for the grid. I mean, I'm very comfortable in here with the air condition. Uh, Of course, we're in the fall. But, uh, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of HVAC systems running here. That seems like it would be difficult to be able to do that. Are you doing geothermal here? So we're not doing geothermal, but we're also not doing conventional HVAC. What you're hearing right now, sir, is not a conventional HVAC. It is fresh outdoor air coming into the building. Because this building is so tight, the envelope of the building is so tight, the air doesn't come in or leave unless we want it to. And of course, if we did not have that air exchange, after a while, we'd be breathing in other people's air and have more CO2. So what you're hearing is fresh air. We don't have conventional heating and cooling in this building. What we have is a building that's been built so well with such precision in energy efficiency that once the building hits a certain temperature, it kind of stays there. And it needs very little heating or cooling to keep it. It sounds like a cave. That's what happens underground, right? It, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic analogy. I've never heard it put that way. But we are taking advantage of certain things to keep this building at a constant temperature. So you said Do we have geothermal? We don't have geothermal, but what we have underneath the concrete are pipes. And those pipes will contain hot water when it's cold and cold water when it's hot. So that allows us to cool the concrete. And like a cave, you know, once the cave gets to a certain temperature, it stays that way. 
we take advantage of the thermal mass of the concrete. So once you cool it, it kind of stays cold for a while. Once you heat it, it stays heated for a while. But here's the thing, Commissioner Eccles, this building is so energy efficient, we barely turned on the radiant heating and cooling in the last two years. Even in the, even in the middle of the summer, hot, humid summer, we did not have to turn on the radiant cooling. I mean, this should be a case study for every university because universities are constantly building buildings. This is such unique technology. We need to be talking more about it. Are you getting a lot of interest from other universities, not only in Georgia, but beyond? The amount of interest this building is getting far exceeds our wildest imagination, our wildest expectations. We're getting interest from not just our peers, we're getting interest from elected officials, policymakers across the Southeast, interest from corporations. The number of corporate entities that come through this building to learn, uh, industry folks, people who are builders, architects, uh, landscape architects, and then just citizens wanting to do tours. Let's talk about the water for just a second. I just went into the restroom. You have compostable toilets in the restroom with instructions not to flush it, uh, that that it may take just a minute and that you step in front of it and it's got a motion detector. You're, you're very good at explaining all of these things. Not only are there signs, you know, as you go into the stall, but there's a video monitor just outside the bathroom that kind of explains how important is the explanation in teaching all of this. The Living Building Challenge has an education component so we take that very seriously. Uh, and it does take a little getting used to. Almost everything in the building is going to be just like any other building you go to. I mean, we've got more wood. It's a wooden building, and you'll see all the natural light. Um, you might notice that the countertops look like they were made from trees that fell down because that's what they are. But the bathrooms are a little weird. I mean, people walk into the bathroom and look down, they say, uh, what's going on? I hear a buzz. So it is important to explain to folks that it's different and also what the benefit of that difference is. So you're right. Educating people about how special this building is, is a key component in helping them understand maybe we should or rather helping them think maybe we should be doing this in other buildings. The last time I was in a building with a compostable toilet was at the hike in up in uh, off, off the Appalachian Trail. Uh, but this technology seems to be even better. Yeah, I, you might have uh, been to South Face's eco office and South Face's eco office has a smaller version of this toilet. Uh, what we have done is just taken that smaller version and made it many, many times bigger uh, but this is one thing I want to impress upon your listeners. A lot of times folks tell us, uh, uh, you know, y'all got that high-tech building at Georgia Tech. And we say, it's really not that high-tech. A lot of things that we're doing, Commissioner Eccles, in this building is positively low-tech. Going back to uh, energy and water, before we had central heating and cooling here in Georgia, we designed buildings to keep us cool in the hot, sweltering summer. Before we had running water, we had outhouses. So the composting toilet is like us bringing an outhouse inside. And when it comes to understanding how to keep people comfortable in this building, we looked back to architecture right here, Georgia architecture, before we had central AC. So a lot of what we've done is just design. And that design is not anything particularly high-tech. Yeah, so the windows seem to have a, a tent on them. How tinted are they? I mean, to the naked eye, it, they're not like privacy glass, but they obviously are, uh, it's, it's very important, right, in reflecting the sunlight. So the windows are triple-pane windows. So you've heard of double pane windows, they're triple pane windows. And I'm glad you pointed out the tint because what you're seeing, Commissioner Eccles, is actually not tint. 
those, if you get really close to it, they're tiny little dots. And those tiny dots are designed to help prevent birds from striking the glass. So the, the, si the sort of the side benefit, it, is, it does provide a little bit of tinting. What we've done to prevent the heat gain that comes from the west setting sun is our solar canopy extends far into the west. That also is a reference to southern architecture. That creates the front porch. Uh, and then we've got these exterior blinds that will come down. They're on, they're, these are blinds that are on the outside of the building. They will automatically come down and shut like they have right now when the building says, you know what? We got a lot of setting sun. Lower the blinds, close them so we don't get the heat gain. Wow. I, I, I got to bring you back for another segment if we can, because we, we've really just gotten into it. We're sitting in the Candida building off of First, uh, which is right here, just off 10th Street at the Georgia Tech campus. It's the coolest building I know in the state of Georgia. So we're going to bring the building director back uh, in just a minute and continue to talk about all the very cool features that they have here uh, and how students are adapting to this, what students are saying, how much traffic this building is getting, and how much influence this building will have across Georgia and America. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. In the Candida building, uh, it's a living building. It's on the Georgia Tech campus, fairly new, a couple years old. And I'm sitting in one of the conference rooms. I'm speaking at a class today uh, and just taking this opportunity to interview uh the building director, Sean Aurora, a friend, former South Face employee, and he's been a guest on our show before. Welcome uh, to Energy Matters. Thank you, sir. We're talking about the triple pane windows. We're talking about the composting toilets. We're talking about how you guys bring fresh air into the building and out uh, of the building. Uh, I'm, I'm looking out across here. I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of wood in this building. Why, why wood and not metal? There is a technology that will take atmospheric carbon dioxide and turn it into a building material. And the state of Georgia happens to be the number one manufacturer of this technology. Well, Commissioner Eccles, I, I know you know what this technology is. It's a tree. Trees <laughs> capture CO2. That's right. You're the one. Remember, years ago, you said to me, trees eat carbon for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, this, is, this has got to be 11 years ago. And that's why we use trees. 
trees, like you said, sir, eat carbon for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's why we use trees. This is a mass timber building. This is one of two mass timber commercial buildings that I know of in the state of Georgia. And that's why we used wood. Uh, this is a prime example of what we can do, what we can build using our homegrown asset. But what you don't know, sir, or what is harder to, uh, to understand is how much of this wood was actually salvaged from buildings that were torn down. So during the construction of the Candida building, we only sent one half of 1% of the construction waste to the landfill and we diverted so much waste from the landfill that um, we call it net positive waste, which is weird. I'm starting to call it net negative waste. We diverted more waste from the landfill during this construction than we sent to the landfill. So what you see is wood from a building that had to get torn down to make way for Georgia Tech's police station. Some of the wood that makes up the ceiling comes from Atlanta's film industry. There are sets that would have been torn down and thrown away. That piece of artwork on the wall, that student made the piece of artwork that's hanging over there from the leftover pieces of wood that's on the outside of the building. And we've got those kinds of uh, examples throughout. So wood for us represents a Georgia product that can be leveraged as part of the climate solution. Well, I had lunch uh, the other day with a guy that works at Accenture who does sustainability consulting for Fortune 500 companies, companies like BMW and others. I think about Rex Hamry, right, who was the consultant for the uh, NCR building and the Truist uh, building. And it seems like, Sean, that if you're going to embark on such a task, that you guys have done here with all this reuse and getting these best practices that you you simply have to have an expert like a Rex guiding you along. Well, that's actually one of the reasons why the Candida Fund paid, uh, invested, I should say, 100% of the design and construction of this building. We've got local experts that can take a building to the highest performance, uh, but by bringing this project here to Georgia, to Atlanta, to our campus, you bring on a whole suite of subcontractors who might not have ever been challenged to go to this level. And now those subcontractors have learned how to build their portion of a living building and they are not going to forget it. So you're absolutely right. We need to have uh, professionals who know how to do this but through the Candida Building's construction, we have allowed for even a broader cross-section of professionals to gain experience in how to build a regenerative building. Wow, it's almost like we're training up a new workforce, right, to, with, a, with a different skill set. And these, uh, these skilled craftsmen who understand how to make a living building um, will be able to then be hired by someone else and to continue kind of uh, this process. Yeah, it's even more stealth than that. Once, once one of the subcontractors learns how to do things in a more sustainable way, and it doesn't cost anymore, or the, f the first cost of learning something new is done, going forward it's the same cost. Well, you know, when you go commission a building, you're not gonna dictate what type of pipes are used, you just want water. Well, now the subcontractor who provided our piping knows that they can use piping that's healthier for you and me, that doesn't contain nasty chemicals, and that's what they're going to use from now on. Wait a second. There, there's healthy pipes and unhealthy pipes? Absolutely. One of the most difficult things of the Living Building Challenge is that every single permanent item you see in this building, not temporary like this chair I'm on, permanent, has to be vetted against a list of nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. And if there is a product that doesn't have that nasty stuff, we got to buy that product. Sir, we vetted everything. The bolt on the elevators were vetted. So now imagine going to the elevator manufacturer and saying, okay, 
we know you make a health, you, your elevator, you say is healthy, but we need to know the quote unquote ingredient list of every single thing in your elevator. It, it's mind boggling how complex that is. But what you learn from that process is that we've got nasty stuff all around us. When you buy a bag of potato chips and you turn it over, you see the nutrition label. You know exactly what's in it. You see the allergens at the bottom. So if you're allergic to that, you're not going to get it. Before the pandemic, we spent 90% of our time indoors as Americans. During the pandemic, that number for some of us went up to 100%. Do we know what's in our paint, in our pipes, in the furniture? And the answer is no. So this building is probably also the healthiest building because everything was vetted and to the extent that we could get rid of those nasty chemicals, we did. So the pipe that's used, the piping that's most commonly used is PVC. We can't have PVC in this building. So we had to go to the subcontractor and say, you're going to have to find an alternative. That requirement breeds innovation. And what they came back to us with was piping that can be made from recycled milk jugs that does not contain any of the nasty chemicals that are prohibited. And it's flexible, whereas PVC is not flexible. So we forced innovation, and now they will carry that innovation project after project after project, and the customer might not ever know that they're getting a recyclable product, sometimes made out of recycled milk jugs, that doesn't contain nasty chemicals, but that's what this building has gifted the state. This reminds me of what my buddy over at Home Depot Corp, the sustainability director, said about the power of the purchase order, that companies like Home Depot, and in this case, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, uh, anyone that's buying something, building something, they have the ability to dictate how things are going to be done. But if they don't know one way makes a difference over the other, then they just leave it up to their contractor where you guys really drill down. I could not agree more. And that's what, you know, that's, I, I tell folks all the time, if you if you change the way business is done in the state of Georgia and the Southeast, you have found you have found sort of the magic elixir to change things across the country. Right? We we don't like, I mean that's just this is our cultural preference. We don't like government mandates. But once industry has seen the market move someplace and industry starts changing, industry can change really fast and the market changes overnight. Overnight, the market can change. So one of the things that we're trying to do here with this building is to influence the market in the Southeast. Sure, we want to influence the uh, policymakers, but it's the market. If the market moves in this region towards regenerative buildings, we're going to see a lot of change. So I see a sign out there that says Candida Building Tours Start Here. How can folks take a tour of the building? Livingbuilding.gatech.edu. All the information about this building's on that website and right there on top, tours. And folks can come here. How long does the tour take? It depends on how long you've got. The average tour takes about 75 minutes. Uh, but if people only got 30 minutes, we'll give you 30 minutes. And then, of course, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com backslash Candida Building. And we are all over social media. Well, congratulations on a job well done, and I'm so excited to see this uh, come, come about and see so many people enjoying it. Well, thank you, and thank you for your leadership. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matter live from Georgia Tech in the Candida Building. Stick around. We'll be back for a couple more segments. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters.
Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters in Thomasville at their very cool CNG fueling station. I just filled up with with Alan, the city manager. Alan, this is fantastic. You've got this facility for me and others to fill up here. Was it difficult convincing folks to build CNG here in Thomasville? I I don't know that it was difficult, but we are struggling with the ability for people to use it and convert over to CNG natural gas. So, yeah. You know, in Atlanta, we've got a number of companies that have already been using natural gas for a very long time. I I first bought a natural gas vehicle in 2010. I had a little Honda Civic, drove it around for a couple years, then decided during this particular campaign cycle, look, I'm going back to a natural gas vehicle so that people can see that this is important because natural gas has really come under a lot of scrutiny out west in particular. Well, you know, you see that in the rural areas and what, you know, what we would like to see is the school buses, the post offices. Uh, We don't have a transportation system like they do in Atlanta or maybe Macon, but those type of facilities could use the compressed natural gas and it would help the economy and it would help not only that, the environment as well. Do you get comments from people that see your trash trucks down here going through neighborhoods and businesses or whatever uh, that notice it, that ask questions to the driver or uh, the worker on the truck? I don't know that they ask the questions of the driver or the worker, but we do get questions from time to time about the sound and uh, the fact that it doesn't admit the smell of diesel fuel, which is uh, easily recognizable. So they do ask some questions about that. We normally get those in the administration building and the staff, but not really the drivers per se. As you visit with other city managers and talk to uh, other cities, even beyond Georgia, are you hearing more and more talk about the methane in landfills, capturing that and being able to maybe even do anaerobic digestion like with chicken litter or cow manure or pig manure. Are you hearing anything like that? I'm not, but we do burn a flame off here in Thomasville, so we are very very familiar with that. Uh, But I'm not hearing that come from other city managers from that respect. But you know, I will tell you this, you know, coming from North Carolina, natural gas was a big, big, big utility up there. And uh, when I moved down here about two and a half years ago, it's a little surprising on the fact that people don't use natural gas or or don't participate with natural gas like they did up there. You know, anaerobic digestion is getting a lot of press right now because you can produce renewable natural gas from it. And California, which has contorted itself into a pretzel out there, they will they will pay about 10 times for a a decatherm of, of, of renewable natural gas. So their craziness is driving a market in and of itself. 
Well, that's true, and you know, I will tell you, we don't really try to follow California, a lot of things that they do. Uh, we try to look at it individually, but um, from that perspective, I haven't heard a whole lot about that down here just yet, And uh, but you know, we're studying, studying it, see if it comes this way. You know, Thomasville is really a bedroom community of Tallahassee. My mom went to high school there, Leon County High School. My granddad uh, taught ROTC there uh i'm a i'm a triple dog here uh you know i went to to uga and i come down here and i see all this fsu paraphernalia here in tallahassee i mean you haven't bought into that have you no 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 but i did come from acc territory but i'm starting to buy into the sec a little bit and trying to try to find out what's going on with that i understand that they don't not too good in basketball yet but uh, they do have a good football program as you think about thomasville and what some of the cool things that you're you guys are doing because you have a very unique community here. I think folks that have never been to Thomasville, they come downtown, they see the brick streets, they eat some shrimp and grits there at at Jonah's, that new Marriott Courtyard Hotel that you have here. And for goodness sake, all the quail plantations. I mean, could y'all live without the sale of jet fuel here? <laughs> well, I mean, we get a lot of jet fuel. We got, you know, we got a, a wonderful airport. We have two runways for a town this size. What we are seeing is, is that with the COVID, people are able to work from home. And so we're starting, to, we are starting to see a new group of people work and live in this area because they can live and work from anywhere. So they're starting to see, we're starting to see them migrate down this way and actually come from the west side of the United States. So we're seeing different things change but uh you know the quail hunting down here is wonderful as you well know um the the seasons down here are great as well and you know a lot of people come down here especially in the winter time because the summer the winters are so mild and we've really enjoyed it down here so far so when i was growing up i mentioned my granddad he taught me to quail hunt dove shoot deer hunt and i bought this britney spaniel all right so it was registered supposed to be a good dog didn't pay to have it trained thought i could train the dog myself and this was the stupidest dog that that you've ever seen and anybody that's ever hunted quail knows that quail can kind of surprise you i mean people get shot quail hunting because these birds are so loud and if you don't know that that covey is getting up in front of you it just kind of shocks you and my dog had some nasal problems because the dog could not smell these birds it would stop and point and for those of you that don't hunt i mean pointing is supposed to be where the dog's telling you the birds are right there and my dog was always about 10 seconds too late on the point and so as a result the birds are getting up i'm shocked my gun goes off it was so bad I mean, the dog was named Rebel, and that really was an appropriate name. He eventually got up on top of the doghouse, jumped over the fence, ran away, and never came back. And frankly, I never went to look for him. Sounds like it saved you a lot of money and, uh, and hospital bills. But uh, I've actually seen uh, quail hunting uh, exhibit with dogs, but I've actually never participated in it. But you have done nothing to make me want to do that anymore, I will tell you that. <laughs> your story about your dog <laughs> but if, if it's got nasal problems and it can't smell a quail that that's going to be an issue and as you well know so well as we're recording this football season's uh, un- underway college football nfl of course high school football the the schools here in thomasville you got great support here oh it's wonderful and thomasville as well as thomas county they're uh, they're looking to have good seasons this year i think they played last week and thomasville came out on the uh upper end but we're surrounded by a lot of wonderful high school football from valdosta to colquitt county uh, even down in the tallahassee area and then of course you got the big game saturday right you got georgia and clemson so you'll you'll find out what you have right there number three against number five so we're looking forward to that as well I had a chance to go to the Corky Kell Classic with, uh, with uh, the, the, the building and trades guys, the craftsmen that are sponsoring uh, high school football this year and watch Lowndes County lose in sudden death to Walton. It was a, it was a great game. But I want to give a shout-out for the 6,000 craft workers out at Plant Vogel. I, you know, you cannot build something like that without skilled labor. And, yeah, we've had our issues at the plant but really as i think about where we're at in our country it just galls me that we elevate college educations to the point where we say that kids that don't go to college somehow you know are secondary citizens or something we 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 need to be more like germany and how we treat uh craft labor and skilled workers uh they they really 
put a premium on those guys, which is one of the reasons that the Germans, you know, build some of the best cars in the world. Those those German auto factory workers that are building those fine engineered BMWs and Porsches and Mercedes, I mean, they don't have college educations. And we have turned it, we, we have made college education uh, and put it such, on such a pedestal uh, that it's hard for a kid to go into craft labor or be a mechanic or work in HVAC and not feel like somehow they failed. Well, I, and you know, here in Thomasville, we have about 430 employees. I guess, I, I would say honestly, probably 70% don't have a college degree. And we have a wonderful workforce because they have skills and they have trades. Workforce development is something that we're working on. We're working on it with the community colleges here. And we understand that that's very, very important down here that you have, an, uh, you have a skill set, but you don't necessarily have to have a four-year college degree. That's not the answer to everything. Some positions you do have to have that, but not every position you have to have. So you can make yourself a skilled employee, a valuable employee, as long as you get a skill set, but you don't have to have a four-year degree to do that. You know, these uh, welders that start at Plant Bogle as an apprentice and then work their way up to a journeyman, uh, these unions, which, you know, Labor Day uh, holiday really is about labor, uh, and I have become a big fan of our craft labor out there because I really believe they've saved the plant. Um, uh, those union workers inoculated that plant from Democratic opposition uh, because the Democratic Party will not criticize the labor unions and were it not for that i believe after the bankruptcy of westinghouse that there would have been so much pressure from the democratic party had it not been a union plant we probably would have shut it down just like south carolina so a shout out to the great craft labor uh that's building you know uh, I, I think a project that's more complicated than a spaceship oh absolutely and you know a lot of the folks that run the nuclear power plants don't necessarily have a, a four-year degree come out of high school they're uh, hired and then they're trained in nuclear uh, management of how a nuclear uh, facility works so it's very important for the have the craft skills as well as the other type of labor skills that you need to have in order to make a successful program you have no idea most people have no idea what a 6,000 workforce looks like and what it takes to manage that and the coordination that goes along with it so shout out to that is just wonderful as well how can folks find out more about Thomasville? Well, you can go to our thomasville.org website. We have a Facebook. We have Twitter accounts. So there's a lot of things out there that you can look at and you can you can look, learn and look to us. We have a tourism department. So you can, or, and you can go ahead and get that, uh, contact them, and they'll be able to handle that as well. Hey, thanks for being on Energy Matters, and thanks for letting me fuel up today. Yeah, thank you for coming by. We appreciate it. As Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, we're back on Energy Matters Live. It's great to be back in the studio, Casey. A lot of stuff happening out in our country. The Texas thing is now behind us. A lot of people got fired. Fired. I saw, I saw where their public utility uh, commission head uh, resigned. Uh, I think the top four members of ERCOT resigned. So there was a lot of lot of fallout. Uh, but 
You know, today uh, I think we want to talk uh, in in this segment about top, the top five trends in utilities. Kind of set this up for us. Yeah, absolutely. So. This is a uh, report that our friends over at Apogee uh, put out, Joel Gilbert and Jim Malcolm, among others, who have been on the show, show before. And they're looking at the top five trends in customer engagement. And, you know, Tim, we thought this would be a good thing to cover for our listeners because I run a study on customer engagement for utilities. You regulate a utility here in uh, the state of Georgia. And so let's kind of poke at these and, and see what what they're thinking and whether that jibes with what we're thinking. Casey, uh, you know, decarbonization is their number number one. Right. And I tell you, I'm hearing this everywhere I go. Uh, you know, you know, in Georgia, not as much. But when, when you talk to people from California and Germany, and I consider those uh, kind of trendsetters in the energy world. They're all about decarbonizing their transportation system now. Uh, mm-hmm. And that seems to be the driver for all of this electric vehicle stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And really, when you think about decarbonization, it's it's this broader thing, right? It's, it's about taking carbon out of whatever it's being used for producing energy, transport, industrial uses, and, you know, what, what the Apogee folks are saying is essentially this is something that people and companies are looking to their electric utilities in particular for leadership on. And I completely agree. This is something that we've seen as a trend within the study that I run. And, you know, you think about it that as people and companies are increasingly concerned about climate change, if their utilities are not helping them provide a solution, then they're going to look somewhere else. And that's a big risk for the energy utilities. Yeah, I think utilities are wanting to be leading the way on this. We're even seeing Southern Company talk uh, a lot about this. And I just saw a scientific poll that was done by the University of Georgia. It's not released yet, so I'm not not going to disclose all the results. But both Republicans and Democrats viewed this as an issue. And frankly, I was a little bit surprised about how high the number was for Republicans. And so I, I, I am beginning to see that and this may be more of a bipartisan issue than than I at first had realized. Yeah, we don't appear to agree on much in this country, but uh, we seem to agree on the necessity of tackling this issue. So number two here in their um, their report is the explosive intersection of personalization and video. And so they're basically saying, look, for utilities, it's about interacting with people in ways that are specific and relevant to them and uh, that video content is extremely impactful. So what are your thoughts on that, Tim? Well, we've heard about the the selfie vote, right? Uh, the, the, the importance of reaching folks out there on social media platforms, and there's a bunch of them, you know, with personalized messages, with video. I can tell you, Casey, as I ramp up for my reelection, um, next year that that 15 second videos on social media platforms is going to be one of the things that I spend the most money on. I, I think it's just it's just the way that we've got to communicate with people now. And I think utilities are realizing, wait a second, we want to engage with our customers. We want we want to educate them. We want them to see that we're doing uh, the things that they're expecting us to do. But we also have a lot of new products and a lot of new opportunity. And we're going we're going to help them see this through a video uh, and through personalizing content. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. You, you think about, you know, communicating and you want it to be relevant to people, right? Um, and, and one of the examples that I use all the time with my clients is most utilities have some sort of an appliance recycling program. Well, most people replace their appliances every seven years or so. So if you're communicating with me and I'm not replacing my appliance, that's wasted money. It's wasted effort. It doesn't matter to me, right? So really understanding what's relevant to folks is really helpful. And, and video allows you to convey things that you can't otherwise, just like you're saying. And it, it sounds like, Tim, you're going to be the TikTok commissioner. Is that right? 15 second videos? Yeah, I guess so. I guess I'm going to have to be the TikTok <laughs> commissioner. I mean, I, I wish that I was younger and that my face was younger and that... 
and that maybe I look like I did back when I was in my twenties instead of instead of at my age because I really have the face for radio. Why why are we even doing this on video, Casey? Because we've got to reach know. we got to reach people, right? That's right. Uh, you know, Tim, you just need to find the cat filter and you, you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> all right. So the the next trend here that they've got is aligning rates with costs and carbon. And Tim, I suspect you know quite a bit more about this than I do, given your role in helping set Georgia Power's rate. But I've got some thoughts on this, too. But let me let you go first on this one. Well, certainly low rates never go out of style. Uh, And, you know, folks, they want reliability, uh, first and foremost. And I think Texas showed us how important that was. I mean, as long as there's no crisis, I think everybody's happy to, you know, to be aspiring for their favorite form of energy. But when there's a crisis that happens, an electron is an electron, and they don't really care where it's coming from, I think, for the most part. And clearly, carbon pricing, I do think there will eventually be a price on carbon. And we look at that when we're making decisions about about plants we we take a guess is it gonna you know, it could there be a low price on carbon medium high and we're evaluating these scenarios casey and you and know and i think you're going to continue to see us close coal plants in georgia over the next 10 to 20 years tim here's my take on it in in their paper the apogee folks really are advocating for the adoption of time of use rates or and or demand rates and we've talked about these on the show before and and both you and i you know have have used time of use rates they spend almost a third of the report talking about why this is important and and tim you're a politician what does it mean when you're explaining in politics yeah it it, it means that you really uh, you really haven't got people with you yet, and you are possibly going to be confusing people. And any surprise that time of use rates are confusing? I mean, yeah, exactly right. And and this is where I think they're totally off base, right? I, I mean, yes, time of use rates are are great for certain segments of energy geeks like you and me who know how to use them. But I think for most people, and and you even see this with cell phones, right? Cell phones used to be on the you know time of use per minute, you know peak period. You know, uh, even before that, landlines, people wouldn't call until the weekends because you'd have that peak. People didn't like it and it was confusing. And so everyone's moved to this flat rate, right? You pay $70 a month for your cell phone or whatever it is, right? And you get unlimited talk and text. So I really think that the future here is not time of use or demand rates, at least on the residential side, but really in utilities figuring out how do they price to incorporate things that people value, whether it's reliability like you were talking about, right? Everyone wants the power to stay on or whether it's, you know, decarbonized electricity we talked about in the first trend. Um, They really need to figure that model out rather than than a volumetric time of use, a demand rate, again, at least for uh, residential customers, because it's just confusing for most folks. Yeah, I, I would love for people to care more about time of use rates, but I have beat my head against the table trying to get people to to try it uh and, and there are there's a segment that will and oh absolutely and, and, and you know what let's work with them let's add to it but we can't build a whole system around that group totally agreed all right so let's move on to the next one here which is spotlight on energy equality and this is really talking about you know as we deal with these things uh, around decarbonization and reliability how do we make sure that people that have uh, limited means uh, or uh, are you know low income aren't left behind and energy of course underpins everything that we do in society and you know tim you mentioned this before big focus for you at the commission around low rates and how do you and your fellow commissioners think about this idea of energy equality and, and equity as you're you're looking at rates. You know, Casey, there's so many variables to affordability, right? How big is your house? How energy efficient is your house? What is your income? Are you on prepay? Is there assistance programs that we can help you with to make your house more efficient in order to lower your energy bill? There are so many things. I just don't think there's a magic wand on this, Casey, in, in terms of getting every one straight in terms of affordability. I think we've got to work on improving the housing stock out there and making all houses as energy efficient as 
possible, if that means changing building codes, if that means providing more opportunities like for the pay-as-you-save program, we've got to come up with creative ways. There is no one single thing to make this work. That makes a lot of sense to me. All right, so the last one here as we wrap up this segment is big data produces big results. And this is kind of the idea that you know utilities have a lot of meter data, they've got a lot of customer data, and it's how do you apply that? And you know my company has done a lot of this work uh, over the years, and even recently as, as you know, utilities have had these shutoff moratoriums and are dealing with customers who are in arrears, we're working with big data with our clients to figure out who is it that's likely to fall behind in their payments and how can our clients, the utilities, connect them with energy assistance programs, energy efficiency programs, things like that that can help them and not let them get uh, uh, behind. Yeah, well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, just catch more of what Casey's talking about, all five of these trends at apogee.net, A-P-O-G-E-E.net. And thanks for listening to Energy Matters today. Have a great day, everyone. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. GERD and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. If you are looking for a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep, I have just the one. Resolve to help protect your identity with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. LifeLock alerts you to potential threats to your identity. And if you have a problem, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft, but help keep what's yours, yours, by resolving to protect your identity. Save up to 25% off your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.